So we continue our study in the letter of James. We are still on James chapter 1. I don't know how many weeks we've been on chapter 1, but that's where we are. It's quite a delightful, challenging study of the letter of James. So we're there in chapter 1. We're picking up this morning from verses 19 through to verses 22. Um, Let's read together. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. And humble accept or humbly accept the word that planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so far we read together from the word of God. Now, by way of introduction, what I want to do with... um, I want to do at the beginning of my message is to connect this text to the broader context of our of the letter of James. I want to connect this text before us to the broader context of the letter of James. I want to connect it to one of James's big idea. You see, because remember that we are not just preaching the text before us. We are concerned with the entire letter of James. And so if we are concerned with the entire letter of James, we need to constantly connecting the dots for you who's coming for the first time. You're not sure how we got where we are this morning. That not only helps us with our understanding of the text before us, but it also helps us with the application, how the text transforms us. And that is to say, the letter of James is a practical letter. James, in this letter, is concerned with authentic Christianity. And if we If you dig deep into the new and the latest commentaries, you will find how they sought to summarize it in the following words. So, when you dig into the latest comment or the recent commentaries on the letter of James, you will be fascinated with the way in which or the titles they came up with in attempt to summarize what the letter of James is about. They've called it truth in action. They've called it faith that works, or behavior of belief, or belief that behaves, or make your faith work. And one particular church that I subscribe to have entitled their series on the letter of James, Stop Pretending. Ouch. Stop pretending. It's time to be honest with ourselves. 
It's time to be honest with one another, which is something we find difficult. And it's time to be honest with God. And so far, I'm sure you have noticed at least the first and the last of those themes, honest with ourselves and honest with God, that is big in the letter of James. And particularly this morning, it seems to connect well this idea of being honest with ourselves and honest with God. We see this in this threefold repetition of the same warning. The warning against deception. James repeats this warning three times in this section. Not so strictly in our text this morning, but it is part of this section. Either don't deceive yourself or do not be deceived. We looked at it last week. We looked at it last week through Anno in verses 16. Don't be deceived. Every good gift comes from God and it comes from above. No evil gift that comes from him, only good gift. And in our text this morning in verses 22, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And then in verses 26, which is not strictly our part of our passage, it says, consider anyone who consider themselves to be religious and does not bridle his own tongue, he deceives himself. So, Clearly, according to James, human beings are prone to deception, even to self-deception. And we see this particularly in spiritual matters or in religious matters. And James wants to warn us that if we suppose that God is the author of evil, not only the author of good, he says, we deceive ourselves. Again, if we think it's enough to listen and accumulate knowledge without doing anything about it, he says, we are deceived. Again, if we think of religion only, and not, we, we think of ourselves as religious but have no control of ourselves, particularly of our tongue, we are deceived. And these are solemn warnings to all of us this morning. And we need to grab, get hold of them and wrestle with them. Because firstly, they warn us about the nature of God. Whether in our understanding, do we really understand God? Or how do we understand Him? Or are we deceived? Do we think of God as the author of good and evil? If we think of God in that light, James wants us to know that we are deceived. If we think of religion as only a matter of words and neglect the action that should accompany those words, Again, we are deceived, and we're guilty of that. But obviously, there is a question behind these warnings that James 
is posing to us. And I'm sure you have that question as well. How then do we avoid being deceived? Whether deceive ourselves or being deceived by the culture around us, how do we avoid it? How can we avoid deceive ourselves? How can we make sure that we stay on the path of truth and not deviate to the path of error? I'm sure that question is in your mind as well as we look in these warnings. James' response to that question to all of us this morning is that the only cure to deception is the Word of God. The only medicine to self or deception in general is the Word of God. It is the revelation that God has graciously given of Himself in the person of Jesus. And that goes along through the biblical witness of the person of Christ. And so James wants us to learn that only through faithfulness to the Word of God that we shall be able to preserve and be protected against error. It is by paying attention to the Word of God that we shall be kept true. In verses 18 of the same passage, James described the Word of God as the Word of Truth. And it is by listening to this Word, by absorbing this Word, and by obeying it, that we can avoid the prejudice of self-deception. And that prejudice of self-deception is common in the world around us, but sadly even in the church today, we see how Christ's followers are so deceived and can self-deceive themselves as well. So we've noticed that threefold warning against deception and self-deception. And James now wants us to lead us to notice another reference which comes two times in our text. He calls it the word of truth, the word of God, the gospel, which was the instrument God used to bring us to the new birth. In verses 21, he says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which is able to save you. I don't think here James is talking necessarily about the original salvation, about the new birth that we've received when he said the word of God is able to save you. But I think what he's talking about here, he's talking about the word that continues to save us. Later, after we have received our original salvation, the word of God continues to save us. And we use words like these words to describe that, to sanctify us, to lead us on on the path of salvation, to help us grow in our faith. That's the first reference to the word of God, that we are to humbly accept it 
And through that word, when we humbly accept it, God sanctifies us. God leads us on in our path of salvation. The second reference that James makes to the word of God, verses 22, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceiving yourself. Here, in this reference, not only the word of God is a cure to deception, but also doing it. It's not enough to listen to it, but we must also respond and do it. Now, the question for us is, how do we respond to the Word of God, which James is putting it out as a cure to deception? How do we respond to it? What is the reaction that is required of us to this Word of God? Well, there are two stages that James proposed, which should be our response to the Word of God. There has to be an attentive listening to the Word of God. That's the first stage. There has to be an attentive listening to the Word of God. So we go here to the beginning of our passage. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I'm not sure about you, but I'm afraid that we as human, as fallen human beings, what James is proposing is not natural for us. It is not something that we do it naturally. We are quick to give a premature response. We rush with our own opinions. Interestingly enough, the book of Proverbs or the writer to the Proverbs describes that as the mark of foolishness. When we are quick to provide answers before listening. He says the mouth of a fool gushes folly. And the question for you and I is that, is that you? Are you a folly gusher? Well, instead of Gushing of being this foolish person who gushes out answers before listening. James says we are to be quick to listen. Not quick to speak. But at times instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak, we can easily flush out with anger. And James says, don't be quick to be angry. Be slow to anger. Instead, for us, naturally, long before we take time to understand what the issue is, even take trouble to listen to the issue, we get angry. And then we will think about our anger afterwards. We do the last thing, the last thing that James tells us we should do last, we do it first. We find it hard to hold our tongue and listen. Now, that's a general principle with a wide application. 
And James wants us to know that it is better to listen than to speak. It is better to open our, our ears than to open our mouth. We all know that saying that says God has given us two ears and only one mouth. To emphasize the fact that we should listen more as much more we speak. And again, we guilt of that. We listen later after we have said that which is in our heart. So that's the first thing James wants us to learn, that respectful listening is a major contribution to harmonious relationships. This applies in the marriage context. Often a peer would say to me, you haven't been listening. By that time, I've already been telling her the, the things that I want to tell her, but I haven't been listening to what she had to say. But if we want to see harmonious relationships in the marriage context between husband and wives, James wants us to know that listening, not just listening, but listening respectfully between parents and children, between employers and employees, between management and labor. What about politicians? We wonder if they do listen. It's easy to point fingers at them because they are visible. But this command is applying to us as well. This reciprocal listening, in order for us to understand one another, it is necessary for harmonious relationship. And that is true generally, but it is also true specifically, especially in the context in which James is speaking. Because James here is focusing on us listening attentively to the Word of God. But if we are to listen to the Word of God, we need to show that same humility, that same patience to one another as well. And that will overflow to how we listen to the Word of God. One of the Christian fundamentals or Christian foundations is that God has spoken. And that is part of our Christian discipleship. God has spoken through the prophets. He has spoken through the apostles. But supremely, he has spoken through the person of Christ. God has spoken. And therefore, if God has spoken, he continues to speak through his word, through his written word. That word, when we read it, comes alive and speaks to me directly in the context in which I find myself. And so if God has spoken, he requires us to listen. If he has spoken and we believe that through the prophets, through the apostles, through the person of Christ, and through the scriptures... Yours and my responsibility and response to that, it is to listen. 
The Old Testament classic example of this is the boy Samuel who was at the temple. And he kept hearing the voice. And he thought it was Eli, the priest. And again and again, he, he kept going back to him. And eventually, the, pro, the priest, Eli, realized that God is calling the young boy. And he said to him, next time you hear that voice, say, here am I, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It was in the middle of the night. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Friends, I want to ask you, is that your attitude? Is that your body language as you read the Bible? Do you come with that prayer in your heart and in your mind? As I open your word, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And the New Testament example of us listening to the word of God is the example of Mary of Bethany. And while Martha, her sister, was busy in the kitchen, we are told that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, listening to every word that Jesus was speaking to her. I'm not going to go to the debate that we all have about whether it is good to be in the kitchen or to be at the feet of Jesus. And the tension that it caused between the two sisters, I don't have time and the insight to go to it at the moment. I'm sure Jesus would have liked coffee and tea. We are to be hospitable anyway. So at this time, I'm not busy trying to say which one was right between the two of them. But what I'm busy saying is that Mary sat there. Whether she was seen by her sister as lazy, I'm not busy with that this morning. I'm busy at the moment saying to us, she sat there listening to every word that Jesus was saying to them. Again, is that you? Is that the body language that you have? Somebody said, my devotion, reading my devotion on a daily basis is just to move the marker to the next page. In other words, his devotion has become a dead routine that doesn't give him or her life. It's just to tick the box. It's just to do it so that I please whoever is looking at me. Dallas Willard often says, Guilt is not the best motivation because it's unsustainable. If I do the right things because I feel guilt, yeah, <laughs> if you have children, you know what does that mean and how it feels. And, but when it comes to the things of God, guilt cannot be the only motivation. We have to understand why do we do what we do. And so to read your devotion only to move the marker forward, you're missing out. We need to come, whether when we gather together, with an attitude, with a heart of listening. Whether in our devotional time, as we sit down, we imagine ourselves like Mary of Bethany, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, 
Listening to the phrase that captures my attention as I read the word. Listening to the word that jumps into my heart and allow it to sink in my mind and meditate on it as I go on and on during the day. However, it's not easy for us to do this. I think like, Ma- like Martha, we are easily distracted. In our house, we often speak of Abu, who was good with her books, but she gets easily distracted. Any small thing distracts her, and, and it's hard to get her back again to focus. And I think we are like that as well when it comes to the things of God. And often my children ask me, why do we close eyes when we pray? And I say to them, we close eyes not for God, but for ourselves, so that we don't get distracted. But guess what? While my eyes are closed, my mind is saying, so I'm doing that after finishing this prayer, and all that things. And so I'm unable to do what Martha was doing, to sit and listen to every word. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, hmm, I hope he finishes soon. For broken, we've been traveling. I hope you're not feeling tired. It's not the long one this morning. So it's not easy for us to do this because at times we really don't want to listen. I don't know if it happens to you when you know that if I go back to the word of God, I know what he's going to tell me. I know what I haven't been doing. Or I, the, the spirit has been, has been rebuking me. And so going to the word of God becomes difficult in that way. I'm sure you know Scripture Union Devotions, a wonderful organization, and it had a prayer in that devotion based on Psalm 119, verses 18. It says, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. And one commentator said, I imagine God sometimes saying, hang on a minute. Wait a minute. What makes you think that I only have wonderful things to say to you? What if I have some disturbing things to tell you? Which I think he has. And and if I have disturbing things to say to you, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to sit still and listen? So we come to the word of God with a listening heart. That's the response that we are to have. Attentive listening and we come to it with a listening heart. We come together with the attitude of listening. Even when we sing, As we were singing that song, I I could see the scriptures. We're singing the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and God flattening it before them. And they were walking. We're singing about Jesus who was raised on the third day. And through his resurrection, you and I were saved. And so I wish to listen as I sing those songs. A Christian disciple must listen to the word of God. It was Jesus who said the words, human beings don't live 
by bread only, but we live by the word of God as well. So the word of God is indispensable for our life, for our health, and for our growth. Is that the character, the characteristics that you are showing in your discipleship? Attentive listening. Jesus wants us to know that there is no authentic discipleship without attentive listening. You see, because what does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is somebody who listens and learns from his teacher, from his or her teacher, who is Jesus Christ. So there is no authentic discipleship outside of listening. That's the first thing. As we respond to the word of God, which is the only cure to deception, we respond by attentive listening. And secondly, we respond by humbly receiving the word of God. Verses 22. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent all around us and humbly accept the word planted in you which you can be saved by it. We receive the word of God. We absorb it. We accept it deeply in us. And I think here what James is referring to is referring to us taking time to reflect on the word of God, to meditate on the word of God. Ask ourselves questions about that word. Firstly, we, we read it and we struggle to understand it. And having read it, then we try and struggle to apply it. It is not enough for us to listen attentively, but we must also try to absorb it and allow it to sink in deeply in us. To sink in our minds. To sink in our hearts. Jesus is warning us here not to be like that hard ground. When the seed was planted, the soil did not absorb it, but instead it sprang and it fell on the bush. And it never grow. But rather we must be the good soil. The soil that absorbs the word of God. And we allow it to saturate our being. So that we can become true and authentic followers of Jesus. Everybody be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James is concerned with you and I becoming authentic Christians. Christians that lives out the righteousness God desires out of us. 
when we do that, we will be applying this teaching. We will be modeling this authentic Christianity to the world. And we do this by attentive listening, and we do this by humbly listening to the Word of God and accept it in our lives. Not only listen to it, but allow it to sink in us and shape and saturate our being. But Jesus, we, we confess that the teaching of James here in verses 19 through to verses 21 is hard for us. Yet, Lord, we take comfort to the fact that James is is concerned of how we live our faith out, how our faith shapes our lifestyle, how our belief shapes our behavior. So now, Lord, as we have listened to the word, we ask you to help us to take time to reflect on it and to meditate on it and to allow it to saturate our being. In Jesus' name, amen.